House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Back now, and joining us this time, we've got uh, Roger Stone. Um, now, how are you doing, Roger? I'm doing great. Happy New Year. Uh, Happy New Year, yeah. Um, it's good to have you with us, and uh, thank you for joining. Delighted to be here. So now, for the listeners that don't know you, which I, I don't know if there be any, but um, <laughs> uh, let's, let's talk about your history, where you came from, and how you got into the... Uh, sure. I'm, I'm a 40-year veteran of American politics. I'm uh, specifically a veteran of eight national Republican presidential campaigns. Uh, I'm uh, a New York Times best-selling author. Um, I spent 40 years in the corroded rectum of the two-party system. Uh, and though I'm a lifelong Republican, I've really become kind of suspicious and uh, skeptical about both parties and the fact that really there is one party um, that is, uh, you know, I think, uh, spending us into oblivion, that is uh, eroding our civil liberties, that is, uh, that is uh, uh, sticking our nose into foreign wars, uh, Without regard to the cost or the consequences or the benefits to the United States, so I'm a, I'm a, an alternative historian. I've written a book on uh, uh, the book uh, the man who killed Kennedy, the case against LBJ, which I use fingerprint evidence, eyewitness evidence, and deep Texas politics to make the case that Lyndon Baines Johnson was at the helm of a plot. He was indeed the linchpin of a plot that involved the Central Intelligence Agency organized crime, big Texas oil, and certain other federal agencies uh, for a coup d'etat, for the murder and the cover-up of the murder of uh, John F. Kennedy. And then more recently, I've written a book called Nixon Secrets that explains the relationship between the, the Kennedy assassination, the Bay of Pigs, Watergate, the pardon, and puts all of those into context, a historical context for the reader. That's great. Yeah, actually, I'd, I'd like to have you back to talk about that as well. Sure. Very interesting. Um, so now, now let's let's start with um, so LBJ. Um, now I've done a, a lot of research and talked to a lot of people now, and uh, so what can you tell me about him? Sure. I think Lyndon Johnson has the motive, means, and opportunity to kill John F. Kennedy by 1963. Um, Johnson is under uh, siege in two federal investigations that threaten to expose him and send him to prison. He is at the epicenter of the Bobby Baker investigation. In fact, the Senate investigation into the Baker affair, where Baker has been splitting bribes with Johnson, opens in the Senate on November 22, 1963. Johnson is on the phone throughout that fateful day with his aides in Washington to see whether his name has yet surfaced uh, in those open hearings where Senator Williams of Delaware has vowed to expose LBJ. Then additionally, Johnson knows that the uh, Justice Department under Robert Kennedy has leaked to Time Life magazine uh, details of Johnson's involvement with Billy Sal Estes, a flamboyant Texas Wheeler dealer who Johnson is sharing other federal kickbacks with. Uh, so Johnson is not just facing political ruin and being dumped from the 1964 ticket, although uh, John F. Kennedy says in his memoir, uh, in uh, the memoir of his trusted secretary uh, 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 Evelyn Lincoln, that 
JFK confided in her that Johnson would in fact be dumped from the 64 ticket on the eve of the day he left for Dallas. Um, so uh, Johnson has uh, the motive. He also knows, as my book, which is now out in paperback uh, with two additional chapters, proves, that on November 24th, syndicated columnist Drew Pearson, the most powerful syndicated columnist of his day, a man whose column ran in 700 newspapers, had already written a story tying LBJ to a $100,000 bribe that he had taken to deliver the TFX defense contract to General Dynamics in Fort Worth, Florida, uh, Fort Worth, Texas. LBJ's ticket to the penitentiary. It's over, and he knows it. Uh, now, I also obviously uh, make the case that Johnson does not act alone. There are others in this plot with him. I've heard rumor also that he wasn't really the choice of Kennedy to be on the ticket anyway, to be the vice That's president. That's true. He, he blackmailed his way onto the ticket. In 1963, um, he was a bitter rival of John F. Kennedy's. LBJ uh, ordered the break-in into Kennedy's doctor's office to secure proof in, in his medical records that he had Addison's disease. LBJ agent John Connolly, Texas governor, held a press conference at the Democratic Convention attacking Kennedy for being too sick to be president because of his Addison's. Those are the tactics Johnson was using. This is what begins the deep enmity between Robert Kennedy and Johnson. Robert Kennedy sticks his finger in Johnson's face once he is won and says, you and your people ran a dirty, lousy campaign and now you are going to pay. Right. There's no good side in the bad blood between ultimate dirty trickster and break-in artist, a man who widely used illegal wiretaps, uh, break-ins, and other devices in his political tactics, Robert Kennedy, no saint, no angel, uh, and Lyndon Johnson, another hardball player. So uh, Johnson uh, and, uh, Senate, uh, and House Speaker Sam Rayburn go to Kennedy's hotel room late at night, the night before the vice presidential nomination. LBJ shows Kennedy photos of himself naked in bed, uh, shall we say, in flagrante delicto with various young ladies. The photos are courtesy of J. Edgar Hoover, who has kept a quite a dossier on Jack Kennedy's sexual relations with a certain East German spy, sexual relations uh, with prostitutes, sexual relations um, with uh, with a uh, with a Nazi spy. Uh, all of this, of course, is in Hoover's famous secret files. So um, John Kennedy had actually offered the vice presidency to Senator Stuart Symington of mm -hmm. Missouri, and he had to withdraw the offer from Symington and was blackmailed into taking LBJ. Now, that probably elected him president because LBJ stole enough votes in Texas, just had them just stolen and burned. He, he burned over 56,000 Nixon Lodge ballots, in Dallas County alone, John, Richard Nixon won the 1960 election. Lyndon Johnson stole it for his running mate, John Kennedy. So, ironically, without Johnson on the ticket, um, the solid South wouldn't have hold. You see, Johnson's major role in the 60 campaign was traveling through the South and assuring the Democrats, Kennedy is not telling you the truth about civil rights. He's not going to do anything for the blacks. It's safe to vote for it. It's really uh, why the South uh, is the last, uh, John Kennedy's the last Democrat to carry the Deep South in a presidential election in our lifetime. Wow.
And and Johnson now he 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 sort of was known for that. Well, I don't know if he was known, but he had done it with previous elections for himself too, right? Right. Well, he stole his first election in 1948, and then he ordered the murder of a deputy sheriff and threatened to go to the feds and tell them everything. Probably Johnson's first known public murder, but he would go on to order the murders of other men, uh, murders to cover up voter fraud, murders to cover up corruption. I believe he ordered the murder of his own sister because she was running her mouth about certain things she knew. Uh, he certainly ordered the murder of a man named John Douglas Kinzer, who was blackmailing Johnson uh, with information that he had obtained from Johnson's sister. Uh, Kinzer was murdered in broad daylight by a man named uh, Malcolm Wallace, Wallace uh, is in a federal uh, 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 patronage position, the agriculture department, where he is a personal gunzel pet man for Lyndon Johnson. He murders uh, Kinzer in cold blood. He is apprehended. When apprehended, he says to the police officer, you can't arrest me. I work for Senator Johnson. He goes on trial. He's arrested. Lyndon Johnson's cronies bail him out. They put up his bail. Lyndon Johnson's personal attorney, John Cofer, defends Wallace at trial. While Wallace is convicted of first-degree murder, the judge, Johnson Crony, gives him a five-year suspended sentence. Malcolm Wallace is immediately hired by D.H. Byrd to work for a defense contractor. Malcolm Wallace's fingerprint is found in the sniper's nest in the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository building because the building is owned by D.H. Byrd. Six witnesses see Johnson's hitman, Wallace, in the window of the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository. Two witnesses see Wallace flee the building after Kennedy's shot. We have fingerprint evidence, eyewitness evidence, tying a Johnson hitman to at least one of the shooters. Now, I believe, Warren, that there are there is a shooter on the grassy knoll. I believe there is a shooter in the sewer grate there. Maybe another shooter in a in the Dow Tex building. Johnson, uh, President John F. Kennedy's killed in a crossfire. There's bullets coming from both his front and his behind, and rear. Uh, the government goes to great extents to try to cover this up, but the eyewitnesses at the hospital in Dallas, at Parkland, 13 of them see a gaping wound, exit wound in the back of Kennedy's head. This is indisputable. By the time Kennedy's body gets to Bethesda Medical Center, this wound has disappeared. Now, and Wallace... Um, he ended up staying out and being alive till 1971, and he died, what, in a car he crash? Got, he, got, he died in a suspicious car crash uh, in which um, someone had uh, stuffed a potato uh, into the ignition, you know, into the exhaust system of his pickup truck, which ultimately meant that the pickup truck uh, cab filled with fumes, and he would ultimately drive off the road in the crash and was killed. Lyndon Johnson had a cousin who was a dead ringer for him, looked exactly like him, sounded like him, same height. And Johnson would also often use his cousin as a decoy in those instances in which the vice president needed to be seen but not heard. Uh, shortly after becoming president, President Johnson was displeased to pick up Variety and noticed an article that said his cousin looked so much like LBJ that he'd been hired by a television series uh, for a walk-on role as the President of the United States. Two weeks later, Johnson's cousin would be brutally murdered with a shotgun to the face. So why would that be significant? Why is it significant? Because we know Lyndon Johnson was seen in Fort Worth 
on the evening of November 21st, but he was not heard in Fort Worth. He was merely seen entering his hotel. When, in fact, there's now a huge body of audience that shows that Johnson arrived in Dallas, the Dallas area, after midnight for a secret sit-down with representatives H.L. Hunt, uh, his right-hand man, Ed Clark, Clint Murchison, uh, D.H. Byrd, and others who were coordinating the final minutes of the life of John F. Kennedy. Yeah, I, I've, I've heard. I, I, I watched the um, history documentary, uh, Episode 9, the one that wasn't aired, and, and they sort of referred that uh, Edgar Hoover also met them. Hoover was also uh, at this party. Uh, the chauffeur, the Murchison chauffeur, uh, says in that very video that he drove Hoover to a, uh, to a grass airstrip where he was picked up by a government plane at 3 o'clock in the morning, um, which meant that he could certainly have been back at his desk uh, in Washington, as the record shows he was the following morning. Um, additionally, the records of uh, then-former President, Vice President Richard Nixon showed that Nixon attended a reception for Hoover at the home of Murchison, but much earlier in the evening. Congressman Bruce Alger, a Republican, was also at that reception. Some have confused a reception at Murchison's in honor of Hoover early in the evening, which was really a cocktail party, with the secret meeting that was held after midnight behind closed doors that included Johnson, who arrived after midnight, Hoover, um, Murchison, D.H. Byrd, the lawyer John Culbertson representing H.L. Hunt, H.L. in his 80s, which was way past his bedtime, but he sent a man who had his proxy. This is where the final touches were put on the murder of John F. Kennedy. In that Jake uh, or Hoover was definitely involved. No question about it, although I think Hoover's major role is not in the actual plot. In the plot, Johnson provides at least one shooter, Malcolm Wallace. The Central Intelligence Agency uh, provides uh, the Patsy, that's Oswald. The Dallas Police Department, under the control of Lyndon Johnson, control the early investigation. Uh, the district attorney controls the early investigation. He is a Johnson man. There's no federal jurisdiction in a murder trial. So um, the FBI's role is sh comes after the murder uh, when they are the agents for the Warren Commission cover-up. Let me remind you that Hoover does his own investigation and within seven days declares Oswald the killer and says he's acted alone. The Warren Commission becomes now superfluous. They've either got to disagree with this published report by Hoover or they've got to go along with it. Well, they obviously cut and paste in order to go along with it. In order to do so, Arlen Specter, um, who is a good friend of mine, oddly enough, uh, but a man who um, I think did some egregious things, um, he has to invent the single bullet theory. He has to make one bullet disappear. Too many bullets, too many shooters. Too many shooters means a conspiracy. Picture it. Earl Warren, Alan Dulles, called the 27-year-old Arlen Specter in a room and say, Arlen, it's all decided. This fellow Oswald did it. He's a communist. Three bullets from the back, that's it. Now go get a report that says that. Inspector just does his duty as an ambitious young prosecutor. Well, and, and why did they select the people that they had on the Warren Commission? Like Alan Dulles, for instance, he was fired. Yeah, well, that's, see, Johnson wants to shove it up the keister of the Kennedys. The Warren Commission is a commission of people that the Kennedys hate. It is, it's Johnson's way of saying to Bobby, 
and and the entire Kennedy clan that he despises them. Dulles was fired by Kennedy. Dulles hates Kennedy and is openly blaming him for the failure of the Bay of Pigs. The agency takes no responsibility. Kennedy, they say, is a traitor. Kennedy is a drug addict. Alan Dulles is spreading the word that John F. Kennedy is, in fact, addicted to crystal meth, which he is. He is being injected with crystal methamphetamine injections by Dr. Um, Max uh, Jacobson, also known as Dr. Feelgood. LBJ, uh, uh, the, uh, the FBI and the Central Intelligence Agency are well aware of the fact that John F. Kennedy is high most of the time, which explains his voracious sexual appetite, despite the fact that he has a very bad back and he's almost constantly in pain when he is not injected. So in his search for um, medication to ease his back pain, Kennedy has become an addict to a very powerful uh, uh, you know, speed. There's a terrific book out now called Dr. Feelgood uh, uh, by my publisher, Skyhorse Press, um, which you can pick up at Amazon now. It is terrific that, it, that tells the story of Dr. Max Jacobson, whose patients included Frank Sinatra, uh, Marilyn Monroe, Nelson Rockefeller, uh, Spiro Agnew, Joe DiMaggio, uh, Leonard Bernstein, I mean, Halston, Roy Cohn, I mean, the beautiful people of that entire period. Um, we're all getting these injections. So he he did them all. <laughs> he he did. It was a proprietary blend. But um, he uh, we know that J.F. Kennedy Kennedy was shot, was injected three times with crystal meth just before he went into the summit meeting with Khrushchev in Venezuela in um, Indiana. We also know that Kennedy had an injection in his voice box of crystal meth just before he debated Richard Nixon in the first debate. His back was bothering him terribly when he showed up in Chicago for the debate. So, uh, you know, all of this is in the hidden history that you won't get from the mainstream historians, but um, you will find in my books and in my future books. Wow. And, and LBJ, what did... Um, now, I've heard that he had uh, some mental issues as well. Yeah, no, I, I think it's very important to, to believe the narrative that Lyndon Johnson killed people. You need to understand that Johnson is a psychopath, that he is a, he is a functioning lunatic. He is a crude, corrupt, sadistic, cowardly bully. Uh, this, is a, this is a coarse, nasty, vindictive uh, uh, psychopath. This is someone given to deep depressions and, and enormous rages. Uh, his own aides fear for his mental health, health, and they write so in their memos back and forth. Um, yet he is in control of the federal government. <clears throat> he not only kills Kennedy, but as I make a case in my new chapters, he ordered the, uh, the false flag bombing of the USS Liberty by the Israelis, the murder of 36 U.S. servicemen that he intends to use as a false pretext for war with Egypt. So um, this is somebody who is, uh, is, whose corruption is of biblical proportions. I show in my book that he stole at least $1 billion in gold from the federal government and that his daughters later unload this gold on the international market for as much as $6 billion, which explains why Lucy Bird and Linda Bird can keep giving away all this money to charity. Those are, those are criminal proceeds. The Johnson girls need to be arrested and prosecuted for the distribution of criminal proceeds. These girls are not heroes. Their father was a corrupt uh, segregationist 
thug and murderer of uh, John F. Kennedy. Well, what what was the atmosphere with with LBJ? Like, how did the public perceive him? Uh, you know, he really uh, changed his public perception in his uh, embrace of civil rights. You see, Johnson was a lifelong segregationist. Uh, even in the 1957 Civil Rights Act, he, he rendered it moot by adding a poison pill amendment that said that violators of the act would be prosecuted under uh, before state, meaning all white, rather than federal juries. Uh, as vice president, behind the scenes he does everything he can to bolster the opposition to Kennedy's civil rights agenda. At the same time, he's advising Kennedy to go slow on civil rights, lest he lose the southern block of powerful committee chairmen in the Senate for the rest of his agenda. In fact, none of Kennedy's agenda moves under, the, uh, under his administration because the master of the Senate, Lyndon Johnson, is impeding most of it. Johnson embraces civil rights for three reasons. One, it's a complete reversal for him. He's killed every civil rights measure through the 50s. He's the leader of the Southern Bloc. He's the author of the famous Southern Manifesto, although he doesn't sign it himself. He writes it for the other Southern senators. Uh, he is, uh, does a, a juxtaposition, a, a somersault on civil rights, because he must ward off a challenge from Robert Kennedy at the 1964 Democratic Convention. Secondarily, he needs license to go into Vietnam. You see, he and Lady Bird owe millions of dollars, or probably thousands of dollars, worth of defense stocks. Johnson and his wife would make $35 million between Brown and Root, Halliburton, and Bell Helicopter. The, the Vietnam War is big business for LBJ. He cares less about the 58,000 Americans killed there. The Vietnam War makes Johnson even richer. Um, he also doesn't need anybody poking into what happened in Dallas. So he silences his liberal critics by his about face on civil rights. Uh, but in fact, Martin Luther King's widow, Coretta King, her son, Dexter King, both charged that Lyndon Johnson had King murdered. Johnson certainly had him wiretapped. Johnson referred to him as that nigger preacher uh, and went wild when King opposed the Vietnam War. Uh, King moved from being a civil rights figure from being to being a figure of moral authority after he also came out against the Vietnam War. It was then and only then that he had outlived any usefulness he had to Johnson, and I believe Johnson is, uh, is complicit in his murder. Well, it sounds to me like um, Johnson wasn't really with the party he was in. Like he was he was being a, a Democrat or liberal, but didn't have a lot of the same views. Well, I think he, is, he, has, he has no ideology. He's a son of the South because that is his route to power. Johnson is all about power. He can talk about his days teaching poor Mexican children to read as a public school teacher, but that's all a ruse. What people understand is that Johnson is a great actor. Listen to the tapes between Hoover and Johnson uh, talking about the Kennedy assassination. Anybody shouting at me, says Johnson. That's acting. He knows the tape recorder's rolling. He knows nobody's shooting at him because the shooter is his. So uh, I think people misunderstand the extent to which Johnson could cry crocodile tears or he could threaten to cut your gonads off. He, was, he could be uh, charming and uh, persuasive or he could be brutal and vicious. Uh, he's a very complicated man, but he has no views other than the acquisition and use of power. He gives the left what they want on civil rights, which is why he's heartbroken when they turn against him on Vietnam and hound him from office. 
uh, he he thinks in his view he has given the left everything it wants. He's given them the great society. He's given them big government. He's given them civil rights, and still they turn against him because of the war. His primary objective then would be more power and money. Power and power and money. It's always power and loss. This is a man who wants to be president. Uh, from the very beginning. It doesn't matter whether you read the biographies of Robert Caro or you read the writings of Bill O'Reilly or you read the books of Roger Stone. We all get this right. He's a psychopath. He cares only about the acquisition of power. He's corrupt and he'll do anything for power. He wants to be president. When JFK picks him for vice president, Congresswoman Claire Booth Luce asks him, Lyndon, why would you give up all that power being Senate Majority Leader for a job that has no power? And Johnson says, I looked into the number of vice presidents who rose to the presidency when the president is killed, and frankly, I like my odds. This is why Bobby Baker, Johnson's top aide, his closest confidant, says at the 1961 inauguration of John F. Kennedy, John Kennedy will not live out his term and he will, live, he will die a violent death, says Baker, according to Senate testimony. Lyndon Johnson plots to kill John Kennedy from the minute he is sworn in from vice president, if not before. Did he drop out of the second race for him? Like, so when the next election came up, he sort of dropped out of that. Because he was a, he was a, uh, a realist, and therefore he stayed in the race. He didn't drop out. He was forced out after losing the New Hampshire primary. Losing, in this case, was defined by underperforming. He got 47%. Uh, Eugene McCarthy got 42%. This was a this was a epic defeat a sitting president of the United States who was considered an easy bet for a renomination. So he was badly necked. This of course brought Robert Kennedy into the race and the one thing Johnson couldn't face was the idea of losing to Kennedy. So he withdraws. Now what most people don't know is that he secretly planned to jump back into the race. He had the Secret Service to, to devise a plan in which he would arrive by helicopter uh, and land on the roof of the Atlantic City Convention Center where John Connolly would brush Hubert Humphrey, the vice president, aside and nominate Johnson for re-election. It was only at the last minute when the Secret Service told the president that such a move would cause such pandemonium that his personal safety could not be guaranteed that Johnson abandons his secret plan to jump back into the 1968 race. We're going to stop for a break now. Our subject, LBJ and the JFK assassination. Our guest, Roger Stone. Welcome back. When we left, we were talking about LBJ and being behind the assassination of JFK. Now, Roger, who else do you think would be involved in this? Well, uh, very clearly, Johnson uh, has a unique relationship with everybody else who is involved in the plot. I think the plot involves the Central Intelligence Agency, organized crime, and big Texas oil. I would say two things. One, Johnson has a unique relationship with East. Those in the JFK research community who keep saying, no, no, Stone, you're wrong, it was the CIA. Here's what you don't understand. Lyndon Johnson is the paymaster for the CIA. Without money, the CIA has no money to fund their ops. Lyndon Johnson sits on the Aerospace Subcommittee of the Appropriations Committee where the secret black box budgets of the CIA, their secret ops budgets, are buried. Johnson is the guy giving them more and more money through the 50s. The Senate Committee with Oversight 
that watches whether the CIA acts legally or not is chaired by Senator Harry F. Byrd, the closest man to the U.S. Senate to Lyndon Johnson, Johnson's close ally. So Johnson has a unique relationship with the CIA. The CIA's motive in the murder of Kennedy is clear. They blame him for the Bay of Pigs, but more precisely they know that Nikita Khrushchev has snookered Kennedy in the Cuban Missile Crisis. U.S. Uh, Russian missiles were never removed from the Soviet Union, the Kennedy, from Cuba. The Kennedy's deal with Khrushchev calls for no on-site inspections, but the Kennedy brothers cut a secret deal to remove our missiles from Italy and Turkey that was kept from the American people for 40 years because it was classified. Jack and Bobby didn't face Nikita down, he snookered them. They gave in. The Kennedy brothers showed us weakness. They changed the balance of power in the European theater with their secret treasonous move to remove our missiles. The Central Intelligence Agency is furious about this, as is the Defense Intelligence Complex. Organized crime? They gave one million to elect John Kennedy. They twisted arms for him in Chicago and in the West Virginia primary. They burned ballots for him uh, to cover up the theft of taxes. Texas. Ambassador Joe Kennedy made a deal with crime bosses Santo Traficante and Carlos Marcello that the Kennedy administration would drop the Eisenhower administration attempts uh, to deport those two gangsters. In fact, the mob is double-crossed. As soon as Bobby Kennedy becomes this, uh, the Attorney General, he seeks to throw both of them out of the country. Their motive is clear. They provide a shooter, maybe two. Uh, big Texas Oil? They're Lyndon Johnson's biggest financial patrons. But John Kennedy has already announced that he is going to do away with the oil depletion allowance, the sweetheart tax treatment under which they, spend, they save millions of dollars. So everybody's motive is clear, uh, and everybody's role is clear. There are multiple shooters. The mob produces one. The agency may have provided one. The agency certainly positions Oswald. Oswald thought that he was uh, going to go shooting with a friend. That's why he is fooled into bringing a rifle into work. He knows that if he discusses the rifle, that he and the other gun enthusiast who is a plant will uh, be fired. So uh, they provide the patsy. Organized crime has to move to the end to shut the patsy up. They provide Jack Ruby. The Warren Commission told us that Ruby had no known associations with organized crime. Do we need to say anything more about the Warren Commission? Carl and Gerald Posner, where are you, Gerald? Uh, Ruby is not a fool. Ruby is a button man. Ruby has worked as a low-level grunt for the mob, worked for Marcelo in Chicago, worked for Marcelo in Cuba, worked for Marcelo in Dallas. Ruby's Club is not Ruby's Club. The Carousel Club is owned by Carlos Marcelo. Jack Ruby is just the front man. Marcelo can't have a liquor license. He has a criminal record. So Jack, now Jack Ruby, he was also on the payroll, wasn't he, for, for Johnson? Uh, well, he was actually on the payroll of the House Un-American Activities Committee in 1947. He was hired at the direction of Congressman Richard Nixon as a paid informant. But Nixon, we now know, does this as a favor, as a courtesy to his colleague, Congressman Lyndon Johnson. Murray Shotner, an aide to Nixon, brings Ruby in and says, this is Johnson's man. And Johnson says, we've got excess money on the committee payroll. They want to get him on the payroll as an informant. 
So now they let him be tried, and he also got found guilty of killing uh, Oswald, didn't he? Uh, yes, but he actually dies before he goes to trial. Uh, after uh, an after an inspection by an injection by government doctor doctors, the perfectly healthy Ruby um, gets a case of very virulent cancer and dies quickly. Um, Ruby, Ruby, and neither Ruby nor Oswald go to trial because trial would be too embarrassing. Yeah, too much. So now you you know Judith Baker or you've heard of her, right? Yes, I, I'm a friend. Judith Baker is a friend of mine. So so how do you so you sort of have you read her book and sort of got into her? Yeah, I have. I, I just uh, again I think one of the important things to to notice is that if you believe as I do that Johnson is the head of a plot, we don't like to use the word conspiracy because it's used by the by uh, the mainstream media to try to discredit anyone who questions the narrative of history as put forward by the mainstream media. But my views in Judith's are not necessarily inconsistent. It is those people, like uh, James Douglas, who wrote a terrific book, The Unspeakable, or Fletcher Prouty, or to a certain extent, my friend Robert Tosh Plumley, they see the Kennedy assassination from their vantage point in the CIA, which is understandable. But that doesn't allow you to see the political dimension. The CIA can't control the Dallas Police Department. The CIA can't control the Dallas uh, Sheriff's Department. The CIA cannot control the Dallas County Prosecutor. Those valuable assets in Dallas are controlled by Lyndon Johnson. Now, that doesn't mean that those who say the CIA did it are wrong. They're also right. You don't have to reject their views to subscribe to mine. The CIA is deeply involved. The mob is deeply involved. Lyndon Johnson is deeply involved. Anti-Castro Cubans are deeply involved. Um, so I don't find any inconsistencies. Now, Judith obviously has some direct experience regarding uh, uh, some of the cancer-causing agents that the government was developing. Could be these very same agents that were used on, uh, on Ruby. Um, and the, the string of deaths, as you know, of witnesses in the entire JFK assassination matter is staggering. They defy mathematical odds of some 2,000 witnesses, somewhere in excess of 200 of them have died under uh, extraordinarily questionable circumstances. There's a terrific book out on this by my friend Richard Charman um, that shows you all the statistical odds that are violated when you look at the high number of witnesses who have disappeared. Look, 21 witnesses died shortly before the House, on America, the House uh, Select Committee on Assassination begins its hearings including George's Demorne Shield, who is Oswald's handler, and who dies with George H.W. Bush's unlisted phone number in his address book. A man who writes to Bush in a letter which we now have saying, I, in essence, I may have said too much about what happened in Dallas. Now the pressure is on me and your family. Please call off the dogs. And, of course, Bush writes back and says, Dear George, it's so nice to hear from you. I have no idea what you're talking about. Sincerely, George Bush. Three days later, Mr. DeMorne Shield dies of multiple shotgun wounds to the head. It was, su it was suicide, they tell us. Well, multiple gunshot wounds could clearly be an accident. Now, do you think Johnson would have been tried and convicted if Kennedy hadn't have been assassinated that day? Exactly what they had in mind. They were going to indict him in both the Baker and the uh, Estes case. 
Um, so Johnson, understanding power and the presidency and the enormous power of a president to cover up and to direct the mechanism of the, of the federal government for cover-up, Johnson took it in dire risk. It was kill Kennedy or go to prison. I believe those were his choices. Have you ever talked to any of the Kennedy or the Kennedy family or any of their relatives about Johnson or, or the theory of Johnson being behind the murder? Uh, both John F. Kennedy Jr., uh, who is, uh, dies himself under mysterious circumstances, uh, and the government goes to great extents to color that. We're told that young John John Kennedy had scant pilot experience, that the weather was bad, that this was a fool's errand, when in fact he had far more experience and hours in the sky. Uh, there's no evidence that the weather was bad uh, and that the air traffic controller who handled this matter disappeared shortly after Kennedy's death. Uh, yet um, there are federal agents on the ground instantaneously when the plane is reported missing. So um, uh, I think he was skeptical and said he was skeptical, but Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has said that he uh, believes his father was killed, his uncle was killed, uh, as uh, the um, as uh, the source of a conspiracy. And then, interestingly enough, Caroline Kennedy wrote a book, and in the promotion for the book said that her mother believed that Lyndon Johnson killed John Kennedy. When the book itself actually published, this, this portion had been excised. Caroline Kennedy now says that after her death, she will release portions of the book that were not released previously. Jacqueline Kennedy knows LBJ killed her husband. They hold back on the release. And, and why does the government still have sealed files on this and not, not let it come out? It's, an, it's a, why are the bad pages files sealed? Why, they told us in the National Archives recently that the Watergate tapes of President Richard Nixon had now been, all been released and were available. That's false. The government has redacted any tape that involves the Kennedy assassination, the Bay of Pigs, and the CIA. Those portions of the Nixon tapes have been um, removed for our benefit. Uh, the CIA records into the Bay of Pigs are still sealed. Um, when someone steps forward to speak out against uh, Kennedy or Johnson, or particularly Johnson, the Joe Califanos, the Bill Moyers, the criminals who worked for Lyndon Johnson as his henchmen, formerly the late Jack Valenti, uh, George Reedy, Liz Carpenter, the same aides who wrote memos questioning the mental balance of Lyndon Johnson. They attack anyone. Uh, you made reference earlier to part nine of the men who killed Kennedy, entitled The Guilty Parties. Go on YouTube this instant, folks, and watch this. The big liberals like Bill Moyers suppress this program. Why? Because it shows you LBJ is guilty in the murder of JFK. They say there was no meeting at Murchison. Look at the interviews with the maid and the chauffeur. They were there. Look at their interviews and video. Who's lying? Califano's lying. Moyers is lying. Liz Carpenter's lying. Lyndon Johnson uh, was uh, the murderous individual that I claim he was. Do you think that's what led to his death in the, in '68? Uh, he begins drinking heavily, and he is reportedly smoking a large amount of marijuana, which is ironic because. Marijuana is, of course, the 
signature of the counter-country, which drove Johnson from the White House. But um, Johnson begins to unburden himself to a psychoanalyst uh, who visits the LBJ ranch. That shrink is paid $1 million and required to sign a confidentiality agreement because Johnson, I believe, is confessing his involvement in the deaths of at least 17 other men, including JFK. It is ironic, by the way, there are, before Johnson returns to the White House, in other words, before he leaves Dallas uh, for Andrews Air Force Base upon become president, he has already sent the order to the White House to have all photographs of the Kennedys removed. If you go today to the LBJ Ranch, which is preserved as a national park, which is theoretically in the exact condition it was on the day that Lady Bird Johnson died, there are no photos of Jack and Jacqueline Kennedy or their families. That's because the Johnsons despised them and vice versa. Do you believe uh, Madeline Brown, now that was the mistress of LBJ, Madeline Brown writes a, a terrific book called Texas in the Morning. Uh, I think that Madeline Brown is well-meaning and essentially accurate. Occasionally she gets some small facts wrong, but she also gets many facts right, which essentially confirm her narrative. She says that Lyndon Johnson told her on New Year's that um, when she asked him point-blank who killed Kennedy, he said it was the CIA and those crazy oil bastards. Well... Uh, she proved, provided hotel records that showed she was, in fact, shacked up with Lyndon Johnson at the Driscoll Hotel at his private suite, the one he used for assassinations, not the presidential suite. Uh, and um, he only left one person out of that narrative. But you notice he didn't say Lee Harvey Oswald and the Russians. No, he admitted the CIA and, uh, and the uh, Texas Oil Boys. And, of course... She also reports that Johnson told her the morning of the assassination, after today, he said, those Kennedy boys won't bother me no more. So, I, you know, I think there is, there's, he also told her that essentially the night before. In two different conversations, he points out that, that he calls them uh, Irish Catholic Mafia bastards, he calls them. So he, in essence, tells her in advance of the murder that he's going to kill John Kennedy. I find her book very credible. Again, th those who have tried to discredit her say, well, she's wrong about this party at Murchison's. Well, no, she's actually right. Don't conflate the, the cocktail party in the early evening, as I said earlier, with the murder plot late at night. Two different meetings. Richard Nixon is at the first one. Richard Nixon is not at the second one. How do we know this? Well, because Nixon is seen at his hotel in Dallas by a Dallas uh, Morning Herald reporter. And that is reported in the paper. So who, in your mind, has done, the, let's say, the worst job in covering the JFK assassination? Yeah, I think you've got, sadly enough, this fellow Robert Caro needs to be called out. He needs to be stripped of his Pulitzer Prize. He has four volumes on Johnson, but he never mentions Billy Salestis. The Salestis scandal was a much bigger scandal than Bobby Baker. Salestis goes to prison, and then he tells the feds in testimony and a letter that LBJ killed John Kennedy and he named 17 others. So if Caro wrote about Estes, he would have to acknowledge that Estes said LBJ killed Kennedy. Mr. Caro, where is Madeline Brown? 
your book. She fathered a child with LBJ. She was undeniably his mistress, but Mr. Carroll has airbrushed her out of the narrative. Bill Moyers. Moyers gives the order to remove the bubble top from Kennedy's limousine. The bubble top is not bulletproof, but it is opaque. You can't see through it. Therefore, Mac Wallace can't get the perfect headshot. It is Moyers, who does not work for John Kennedy, who orders the Secret Service in these words, the President wants that goddamn bubble top removed. One, the President never said that, Moyers. Two, the people who work for the President, they all deny giving that order to you, Moyers. Moyers, you work for the Vice President. You have no authority here. I work for four American Presidents. Moyers is complicit in the murder of John Kennedy. He may have done so unknowingly, but he must be held responsible for the order he gave. And who do you think does the best job? I mean, besides yourself. Women. Uh, it's, it's an epic, epic tale. I mean, this is a man who uh, is, makes Richard Nixon look like a saint in so many ways. A man who lines his pocket and makes millions. Uh, sends 58,000 Americans to their death. And yet, war he already knows is unwinnable. Now, do you believe in the um, story about the CIA running drugs, and that's why they wanted to keep the uh, the war going? Uh, there is evidence the CIA is uh, heavily involved in the heroin trade. It's not the first time; it happens again during the uh, the Reagan years, when I think the government is paying for their CIA's uh, activities in Central America. Once the, the Congress cuts off funding for the, uh, for the democratic forces, for the anti-communist rebels, the CIA begins uh, importing drugs to the United States, selling them, using the money to buy guns, and, and financing our various operations. Uh, likewise, uh, in, the, in the heroin trade, where the government is getting more money for the, where the agency is getting more money for the war by uh, dealing in heroin. There is no doubt that in our country's past, we have the, the, the government has run drugs. There's three reasons why governments run drugs. One, the, the profit margin is enormous and they can fund all kinds of secret, covert intelligence and military actions without having to ask the Congress for money and therefore disclose what they're up to to the American people. Two, you can't get arrested for running drugs when you are the cops. Governments run drugs with impunity. Three, when you're the government, you can put your competitors in the drug business out of business by arresting them, grabbing their drugs, and then selling them. So uh, there's little question that our government's uh, dark past includes involvement in the drug trade. How do you think this has affected us now, and politics now, and, and people? Oh, the Central Intelligence Agency's 70-year record is unbroken. They have uh, toppled democratic governments. They have intervened in democratic elections, they have assassinated democratically elected leaders, they have lied to Congress, they have spied on Congress, they have lied about the war, they lied about the Vietnam War, they are, have uh, been involved in the uh, torture of, uh, of uh, uh, terrorist suspects uh, in a way that is uh, reprehensible and I think not only un-American but seemingly ineffective. We learn nothing through this torture. We Eighty-one million dollars to two doctors who don't, who've never interrogated anyone in their lives. They seem to be making this stuff up as going uh, as they went along. And believe me, these guys work like playing Taylor Swift albums at maximum volume, twenty-four hours. 
You want more and more repeat. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And so, uh, in final, do you have anything to say to the listeners? Well, I'm delighted to be back with you. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm now working on uh, uh, two other books that take this narrative forward. I think one needs to examine uh, the facts surrounding the Bill Cosby-like antics of Bill Clinton, uh, the deep relationship between the Bush family and the Clinton family, and why they seem to be constantly covering for each other and giving each other medals. Uh, and, uh, you know, honestly, if Hillary wants to be president, then I think it opens up an entire investigation of her role in the cover-up of her husband's past uh, uh, sexual assaults. I'm not talking about consensual sex. I'm not talking about Lewinsky, Whitewater. I'm talking about rape, Bill Cosby-style rape. Uh, and I name names. Uh, and then in early 2016, I hope to connect the dots with a book called The Bush Family Dynasty, the politics of privilege, deceit, ambition, oil, and the CIA. Sounds real interesting. So two big, two big projects for the year ahead. Okay, and, and so now for everybody, how can they get a hold of you and uh, contact you if they want to? Uh, the best place to contact me, of course, you can see my weekly updates at stonezone.com. Uh, you can email me there, which is stone at stonezone.com. You can also look at my style blog, which is stoneonstyle.com, um, where we give serious sartorial advice to the well-dressed gent. Um, also a little reporting in there on culture, food, wine, uh, design, cars, movies, films, books, uh, as well as uh, uh, the uh, peacock nature of man in have some haberdashery. Uh, and, of course, you can go to Amazon.com right now for the paperback version of The Man Who Killed Kennedy, The Case Against LBJ, with two new chapters, uh, and long afterwards, uh, tightening the case, building the case uh, as to how and why Lyndon Johnson killed John F. Kennedy and what he did with the presidency afterwards. And then, of course, my other book uh, about the oddest man ever to become president, one of our brilliant but strangest presidents, our 37th president, Richard no House Nixon, the kind of the inside story on Tricky Dick and his rise and fall uh, in my book Nixon's Secrets. So uh, that's a mouthful for you, but I hope your, your listeners will check them out. Oh, I'm sure they will. And we're also going to post that on our website and our Facebook as well, all the information, and uh, we'll let you know any sort of results we get. Terrific. Many thanks. Great to be with you. Thank you. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. <laughs>